0: Good afternoon with Dennis Fithian on Detroit Sports, ready to get things underway, podcast number 26. Coming up, I'll check in with an old colleague, Terry Foster, but first, it's an all-star Saturday. That's where I talk with people that I've got to know over the years in broadcasting. I'm going to go to Dennis and Lansing first up, but let me say this, today is June 6, D-Day. This Monday, June 8, will have been two weeks since the video murder of George Floyd, and And we have a lot going on. Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, admitting the NFL was wrong about not listening to their players on protest. Drew Brees speaks out Wednesday, apologizes on Thursday. And then yesterday, he's writing uh, to the president. I heard Jamel Hill today saying the number one question for the NFL is when will Colin Kaepernick be signed? So uh, later on in this podcast, I'll look at where the sports landscape sits, but You know, Dennis, uh, we go to to the phones here. Dennis is in Lansing. He is on the other end of the line. Dennis, how are you?
1: I'm good, Dan. How are you doing?
0: I'm all right, man. Uh, I appreciate you doing this and coming on. Uh, You're feeling pretty good?
1: I am. It's a nice day.
0: It is a nice day. And uh, it's going to be a little bit hotter over the next couple days. I'm I'm all right with that. I'm all right with the heat, you know? I'll I'll take it. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, but all this, you know what? Uh, We've had, you know, Give you my thoughts and we can talk about it, too, if I have a conversation. We've just had a number of protests or marches here in Michigan and across the country about police brutality over the last week. And I'm ready to talk about that. I think this is a good starting point. Um, you know, last or I guess it was yesterday, I, I saw the pictures of of people uh, walking across uh, in a peaceful march, freedom march. I think they called it the Belle Isle. And uh, it, was a, it was a striking
1: picture. Yeah, it is uh, striking, and it's striking when you look at uh, photographs from all over the world: Finland, Poland, Germany, Russia, South Korea, Japan, Australia. They even had a uh, Black Lives Matter protest in Howell, Michigan. That uh, blew my wig back, but I think the uh, I think the climate has shifted, and I don't know what to attribute it to uh, specifically because these issues have been long entrenched in the american experience for african Americans, police brutality is part of our history and it goes all the way back to the patarollers of uh, the enslavement period and even uh, jim crow so this is nothing new for us and uh the protesting and the and the um, fighting back is nothing new but what is new is the predominant view of the culture that yes, there is disparate treatment in the criminal justice system, and yes, there is police brutality, and yes, it is wrong, and we need to do something about it. That is a very pleasant surprise to see that for me, Dennis.
0: Well, just look at the shift over four years. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, four years ago, during a a preseason game, takes a knee, and it was controversial for sure, or talked about a lot for... Oh, I don't know, a, a month or two, but it, then it seemed like people got tired uh, of talking about it, or corporate America uh, was tired of it, and they they didn't want any more of the protests. But it 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 does seem this time here, this is going to be. Uh, it, it it seems like it's going to be different. When it, and you know, Roger Goodell admitted that he was wrong, that the league was wrong for not listening to their players. So whether they're getting out in front of this, or you know, all the way to the start of the NFL season, that that's. Uh, you know that was a, a surprising, you know, to hear from the from the league office.
1: Well, I think as usual, Roger Goodell is leading from behind. He can read uh, polls. He sees the social shift himself just like we just uh, just discussed. Um, he knows what the black players who are the predominant number of uh, players in the NFL have been saying for years. And it's been okay. In fact, it's been probably fiscally prudent for him to ignore their pleas because the people who advertise on NFL networks and uh, and broadcasts and the fans themselves just didn't want to hear about it. If you can just glibly attribute their complaints to whining and police brutality to a myth, you can just go on and, and keep stacking up the chips and tell, uh, tell Colin Kaepernick he's blacklisted. Even though you never actually say that in, in so many words, you can blacklist a man and get away with it because it pays you to do that. I think what Godell is doing now is is looking at the future and uh, which side his bread is buttered on. And he's making a, uh, a pragmatic decision that has more to do with uh, the future than that fell on its revenue stream than any type of uh, moral epiphany he's had over the past few days. So uh, what Godell says and, and does doesn't, doesn't give uh, – me too much uh comfort and i don't give a whole lot of credibility to you to finish
0: well I, I thought it was interesting because you know he's speaking for the nfl owners and you know they had to be contacted and say hey this is going to be our approach whether it was strategic or not but i just go back to to jerry jones during you know four years ago and at, at one point i don't know the exact quote but it's like nobody's playing for my team if they're taking a knee you know so uh, oh, yeah. you know, that. that does seem to be a shift here and if he needed a reminder about the the times that we're in right now when when Drew Brees spoke on Wednesday and came out and it it was like he didn't hear anything that was going on four years ago and he led with uh, he's not going for anybody disrespecting the flag and, and it was like he missed the entire point. Even though, you know, Drew Brees, he's done a lot of good things for the community there in New Orleans uh, he's generally liked. And and even if you think he was coming from a good place there, he just led, he, he couldn't have led off with, uh, you know, a worse statement for his teammates and for, you know, exactly what's going on here.
1: No, he couldn't have. And, and that's part of the frustration in that you look at um, what you would seem to think are good-hearted people like Breeze. and they just seem to miss the point. And after a while, it, it, it's almost as if um, – you could conclude that they're conveniently missing the point, that it's, it's something that um, is uh, not an issue to them because they don't want it to be an issue to them. You know, I had a um, grandfather who was a World War II veteran. Uh, my Uncle Howard was a, both a World War II and Korean War veteran. And my father was a Korean War veteran who, who earned a Purple Heart there. We've had generations of of, of men on both sides of my family fighting damn near every war this country's had. But we did not conflate what Colin Kaepernick was uh, protesting to whether or not we support the flag or the military. You know, we weren't talking about uh, ducks. We were talking about geese. I don't understand why it was so hard for people to understand what the protest was about. It was simply about criminal justice and, 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 and police brutality. But I do think that it was a, a, a convenient uh, shield for people for for bigots or for people who just want to ignore the systemic problem of, of, of the criminal justice system being biased against blacks by saying, ah, we'll just divert it to them being unpatriotic and not respecting flags And they're saluting with their hand over their heart bad people. We don't have to pay attention to them. Well, they don't pay attention. Meanwhile, all those black players they have in the NFL have a brother or a cousin or or a sister or a relative or a friend of a friend who's subjected to police brutality weekly as that time went on when the NFL was denying it. And next thing you know, here we are. We have a man who is choked out on worldwide TV for nine minutes and it took that to seemingly, uh, start a move it. so maybe that's what it took for the NFL just to have it slapped in the face like that.
0: Well, then, is you know, now lots of people saying they agree with peaceful protests, but uh, to them, taking a, a knee signals you know, disrespect towards the flag, military, and law enforcement. And what you're talking about, I just go back to you know, four years ago that the, and people couldn't separate it, even if like. I can remember the the preseason game was on a Friday and on a Saturday morning I was I was watching Sports Center and I saw this and I'm I'm going to be on the air at 2 and I just sat down I turned the TV off and I said all right I have got to come up and 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 have my approach. What am I going to say about this? And mm-hmm. and in my mind I thought, you know what? There's there's deal breakers for me in my life and and one of them was, you know, taking a knee during the anthem. I'm, I'm I my first reaction was, you know, get out of the country. And I got on the mm-hmm. air and, and I started talking like that. And, you know, people from uh, across Michigan, Southeast Michigan, were calling in and saying, hey, you know what? You don't see the point. Can you understand mm-hmm. that what Colin Kaepernick said is that it wasn't any of those things. It's not about the anthem. It's not about the military and in and, and law enforcement. It's specifically about police brutality. And it, right. it wasn't any of those other things. It was to shine more of a light on on police crimes and police brutality. And that night I sat back and I said, you know what? I, I get that point. And, and people have a hard time shifting. Like if they're so dug in or in my life, I'd never considered like, you know what? I love the Anthem. I loved it. Why? Because I went to so many sporting events and I always thought of, um, of friends and family, that had uh, had passed away, not in the military, but just you know, it was kind of a, a you know a moment for me to reflect. You're standing there, you know, and so it was always a proud moment, a reflective moment. And so then somebody was, uh, you know, for my lifelong views, was saying something that went against it. But I, you know, I, quickly I, I i looked and I saw it the other, and I looked and I, and I felt the other side, and you know, I, I just wonder. I think I don't know this, but I think if if Drew Brees you know, spent the last four years like just watching Fox News and like some of their, you know, top uh, talk show hosts, whoever they are, mm-hmm. their, their their story has been consistently like these player, these, uh, the, I think they like NFL rogue players, and these protests are all about anti-military, anti-police, you know. And, and, it, oh, and it sure. just, that's been the message for four years. I think that Drew Brees has just been listening you know, to whoever he likes, and you don't consider the other side, and and I think that that was kind of a, a slap in the face for him. You know, on Wednesday when he was like, "Whoa, what's this?" Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess I didn't really even consider that side.
1: Yeah, and it's amazing he did. It, it took until this past Thursday for him to consider because it's been there all along. If uh, if you know your history, you'll know that when Dr. King was assassinated in 1968, his approval rating among white people was around 28%, but more shockingly, his approval among black people was in the high 30s, that low. And the reason why was for the first time uh, in the last 18 months of his life, he began to speak out against economic injustice, police brutality, and the war in Vietnam. And a lot of the conservative black leaders in the pulpits and in some of the organizations, the local NAACPs, etc., cetera, cautioned Dr. Keene. Told him to stay in his lane. This isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about civil rights. We're talking about integration. We're talking about fundamental issues that way. Meanwhile, on the white side of the coin, they're looking at him as a traitor. What do you mean we're, uh, we're the, the greatest purveyor of death in the world, the United States of America? We're great. How dare you say anything like that? How dare you say that we have a criminal justice system that is fair? We, we have the, 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 the scales of justice with a blindfold on. How dare you say... That our economic system is set up to entrap black people in poverty. That's that's outrageous. Well, those issues are the very same issues that Colin Kaepernick's knee symbolized. They're still going on, and 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 unless and until we address those issues and look at African Americans as truly equal and fully endowed citizens with protection under the Constitution that is identical to what white people have, particularly. Uh, middle class and moneyed white people because there's a lot of poor whites out there who are catching hell too. Um, they seem to um, be a little bit less uh, uh, a little bit more reticent to speak out against it for some reason but uh, that's a topic for another day mm-hmm. but I guess my main point is that this is nothing new. This has been going on uh, since the United States was uh, being thought about. If you look at every major res- uh, insurrection rebellion Aka riot of the 20th century into the 21st century, with only one exception, they all started because of police brutality. You know, the 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 uh, discrimination on the job didn't start a riot. The discrimination in housing didn't start a riot. The discrimination in banking didn't start riots. The discrimination on down the line didn't start a riot. But what did start riots in St. Louis in the, in the 19s? Um, in Tulsa in 1921, in Watts in 1966, in Detroit in 1967, you can go on down the list, was police brutality. Because when the police, the ultimate authority when it comes to enforcing the law, is free to take your life, is free to kill you with no consequences for no reason, then you have no protection. And at that point, there's really nothing else to do but rebel, but to Um, go to the last uh, resort and strike out and I think that's what you saw here people just had it up to here now I will laud the protesters they they have been um, largely peaceful very little violence in the scale of things and a lot of the violence that you have seen we know that a lot of it's uh, uh, being provoked by agent provocateurs. There's no question about that. Right. But even in, the, even, in the, um, even in the absence of the provocateurs, and you have young black people striking out, breaking windows, looting stores, that's that economic frustration with the system that shows them every day. Ooh, look at this pretty car. Look at this beautiful house. Look at this destination someplace that you need five grand to go to for three weeks. And they know that's outside of their, their reach. They don't have the education system that will support them to get the kind of job that they need to, to uh, earn that type of money. They see the bias, they live the bias, and they get to a point where they have nothing left to lose. Left to lose. And that's not, that's not uh, endorsing that behavior, it's just looking at it for what it is. So I think if we can uh, take this moment and really start examining equality by its purest uh, form of definition. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. If we can do that, maybe we can make this whole thing worth something. This 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 last week of, of rebellion and protest and, and the, the death of George Floyd may not have been in vain.
0: I wish I would have put you down for 20 minutes. Uh, yeah. Are people going to have open minds? And, you know, for me, it's about, my life trying to strive for a better country. And part of that's trying to understand my neighbors and my friends' plight. And uh, you know what? Uh, maybe maybe this is going to be a start of something. Uh, Dennis, I appreciate your time, man. Uh, I, I looked down. I thought we were only talking for six minutes. It's been 16, man. And <laughs> uh, I appreciate your thoughts, man. Uh, they were fantastic.
1: Well, I enjoyed the conversation, Dennis. And thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, we're going to have to do it again. Take care.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You too, man.
0: There he is, Dennis and Lansing. How about that? And you know, I have talked to Dennis before, and but I did I just didn't know how long we were going to talk. And then I looked down, like I said, and I'm going to Terry Foster, who's coming up next here on the podcast.
1: Good afternoon.
0: Good afternoon, Terry. Terry Foster, Hall of Famer, longtime member of the media, writer, broadcaster podcaster, <laughs> blogger, uh, everything, man.
2: How are you doing today? Pretty good. Kind of chilling out. Uh, just watching stuff. Hanging out. That's about it. Yeah. What about you? Well, you know what?
0: I-, I was up at 6 this morning, which is pretty early for me, although I have been getting up earlier, and I checked my direct message, and I saw that you responded to me at, at 4 in the morning, and I thought... You know what? Terry doesn't sleep. You know, Terry's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I, I remember going back, you 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 wake up in the middle of the night. Sometimes you're just up. You just don't sleep.
2: Yeah, well, I went to bed last night at 8 o'clock, which meant I'm going to wake up at a weird time. So that's what happened.
0: Yeah. Well, well Terry, I was checking things out myself. And I got to say, you know, your blogs are very powerful reads, man. I, I, today I read the letter to little B. Well, who I know, mm-hmm. Brandon. I got it. Even seems strange to say his name because for for years, you know, I called him Little B. And you know, you told Brandon uh, that that things wouldn't change until white people have had enough. And uh-huh. I know two weeks will be, or or Monday will be two weeks since the the murder of George Floyd. We've had eight days of of protest across the country. Here, do you get a feel here that? uh that white people may have had enough here? Do you sense that?
2: I, I I think so, but I think what's also happened is the clowns are starting to come out now a little bit, you know, saying that you know, it's not that bad and, and you know um, you know people are starting to say things that counter the um, you know, the demonstrations and stuff but I think enough people have said enough is enough. And, and and maybe we're going to get some change. Uh, I think we need more leadership from our government, which we're not getting right now. No. But, um, you know, at some point <clears throat> I think what we need is um, we need black leaders. We need the police. We need everyday people. And we need a moderator to have some type of summit. And I'm talking about big summits to try to talk about what the problems are, what the mindsets are, what can we do to make this country better, to make our relationships better. And we need leadership, probably from politicians, because we're not experts on this but uh, other people have been trained to at least know what you can change. And we need, we need leadership from them.
0: Yeah. And we That's need people. Yeah. And it's a good view. We need people to pay attention and, and have dialogue and be willing when they say something and, and if somebody wants to counter it and and maybe they can meet halfway and examine these statements. And, you know, when you, you say clowns, that like I've seen some of that, of course, you, you know, you you stay on online long enough and you'll see a little bit of everything, but, You know, some of that where you see trickling out just over this past week, there'll be like a lot of like, uh, well, what about all the white people that are getting murdered by police officers? Or what about the cops that are murdered? Like, look, the part to pay attention is, is like, yeah, we don't want anybody to get uh, murdered by the cops or be subject to police brutality. And, you know, we don't want uh, police officers to be murdered. But in this instance here, what we are talking about specifically is police brutality against blacks i mean that is that's the issue it's not like so people it seems like right. a little bit of a running end arounds and well what about this statistic you know there's actually more white and it's like okay that that's not doing anybody any good like that's particularly
2: here, here, here's what i say to that and i, I keep hearing that too Well, are more white people murdered by police and black people but i would ask this question how many unarmed Harmless white people are murdered by the police as opposed to a white person that has a weapon that is a threat um, to a police officer. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you're going to get killed if if you're threatening the police officer, no matter who you are. And I always go back to this video, or a couple of videos I saw. There were um, white guys in a park with children in the park. having with a gun in their hand, threatening people. And you hear the police talking about, okay, how are we going to take this guy down without killing him? And what they did is they got snipers to get a, uh, you know, get a shot at this guy and they planned it. They shot the guy in the stomach so that one time brought him down, arrested him, took him in, took him to the hospital, whatever. My point, if it had been a black person, there would have been two, 300 shots and the dude would be dead. But now with this white guy in the park, it was like, okay, how do we take him down? And uh, we don't want to kill him and we don't want anyone to get hurt. So what do we do? And I just think that's the different mindset that we have to change, You know, treat everybody like that, no matter who it is, how do we take him down with one shot, you know, no longer have him a threat? You should do that with everybody.
0: Well, and to that point, you know, Terry, do I feel like uh, I'm going to get the benefit of the doubt if I'm driving uh, in my car or more than, than you would if you were driving my car and, and at certain times? I do believe that. I mean, I know that. I've heard enough stories. I know that. There've been situations like this whether it's Ferguson, Missouri a few years ago or uh, what happened in uh, New York with like Garner and, and you know you're you're doing a talk show people call in and and they and they they talk about their experiences and uh, you know to hear people call in and say just how fear, fearful they are to get pulled over in a car just in America and um, not in and, and like what you wrote you know to your son your letter it was, it was you know so powerful like you know you've had that conversation like my stepson you know he's got his permit I don't talk with I haven't had a probably should but I haven't had a conversation about hey here's what happens when a when a you know a cop pulls you over but you better have that conversation right
2: right yeah absolutely and and he got pulled over and um, you know he was petrified but he he remembered everything that we talked about and you know they gave him a ticket and he went on and you know he he said, overall, it was a good experience. It was a good experience for him. You know, he's not going to speed anymore. And, and, uh, you know, stuff happens. And then I took him to the magistrate to get the ticket, um, erased from our record. Cause I didn't want to play, pay extra insurance. And he went down there and he learned about the court system. And I took him down there explained to him what was going on, what was going to happen. And, I think he became a better human being because of that. But, you know, one guy you could talk to about being pulled over is Mike Valenti. Mike Valenti drives like a bat out of hell. He's been pulled over twice in his life, and both times he had black people in the car. And he said he doesn't think that's a coincidence.
0: Mm. Yeah, I know Caputo. So he, he likes to tell the story. I don't know exactly what it was, but how he was driving around Beverly Hills, Michigan, and he would... He, he he seemed a little rogue uh, in high school, Pat. You know, I don't know if you know those stories or not. And seemed like he. Was... I've heard
2: those stories.
0: Yeah, but you know, he he talked about yeah. However, he drove, he didn't get pulled over, but he had his friend with him. At the time that he got pulled over, that he recalls, uh, you know, his friend that was with him was black, and you know that he didn't feel like that was a, a coincidence either. So, yeah, I hear that. You know, the the one thing I, I wonder if about Drew Brees and if if Drew Brees. If he learned something, if he was naive, I think he—I think he was naive. If I had to guess, Terry, I think that, that Drew Brees four years ago, you know, saw the the Kaepernick, the the protest, and I would guess that that Drew Brees listens to a lot of like Fox Sport or Fox News. I'm sorry, not Fox Sports, Fox News. And if you listen to you know those kind of um, if you listen to that news and you know to their talk show host, it was about disrespect. This is a this is a slap across the face to America. This is a slap across the face to the American flag. To people that were in the military that served. Hey, respect our military and respect our flag and respect our policemen. We've had people that are work, and, and it was never about that. And you know Kaepernick tried to, you know, he he tried to make that clear a number of different times, but a lot of people didn't get that. And even to this week, Drew Brees, I mean, that's what he led with. He, like He's, he's never going to stand for anybody disrespecting a flag. And it was almost like you had to put your hand over your face. Like, that's not what this is about. That's not what the protest was about. So I, I think he was naive, but I don't know.
2: I, 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 for one, I forgive Drew Brees. I think he forgot. He forgot about the, the context, he forgot what we were going through. Uh, You know, sometimes these guys are insulated in their own world. He forgot about his teammates. He forgot about a lot of things when he made those comments. But I I think a guy like Drew Brees can earn our forgiveness because of the type of guy that he's been, what he's done for the community, what he believes in. You know, sometimes we forget, we forget where we are, we forget the context and we mess up. Now, if it's been somebody else, I may not be forgiving. But for Drew Brees, I'm like, all right, he, he messed up. Uh he apologized. And I'm willing to forgive him because I know or I believe because I don't know him, but I believe he's a good dude. And stuff just happens.
0: Yeah, he seems to have a track record of of trying to go out there and, and help the community and, and be empathetic, you know. So just in this situation, I, it didn't seem like, uh, you know, I, like he was paying attention. I I, uh, I, heard Jamel Hill today. I was surprised. Like, I was just watching. It was actually just a, a video that popped up when I was on Twitter. But she was mm-hmm. saying that the number one question – and then she was talking about the NFL. But she said the, the number one question for the NFL now is that when will Colin Kaepernick be signed? And I thought, wow, is, is that really the, the number one question for the NFL? But, I mean, she was saying that, and I was thinking – at first, I thought, well, that's that's not going to be uh, the number one. You know, you, you can't force a team, or you don't, you know, you, you don't want to go out there and and say, hey, we really need to get Colin Kaepernick signed. It should be about, you know, whether or not you know he can play in the league and you know bring something to the table as a as a backup. But then my my I had to remember four years ago what I was saying, and I was, well, you didn't want to sign Kaepernick because as a backup quarterback, all of the attention that was going to come and distraction that was going to come along with him. And now if the NFL is ready for protest or, or they seemingly, they would be ready for Colin Kaepernick and it wouldn't be what, you know, I was calling a distraction, although there'll be a lot of media, but he might be just a spokesperson. If he's not somebody that is signed by an NFL team, maybe uh, in some role as a, a spokesperson for the NFL.
2: Yeah. I think you could legitimately now make the case that maybe there's so much rust on Colin Kaepernick that he may not be able to help the team. But I think there's a more important role for him. If I'm in the NFL. I'm putting him in my front office in the NFL, New York city, because when I talk about healing, we got to heal this country. The NFL is powerful enough that it can get a seat at the table. And if it's going to be part of the process, of us healing, then Kaepernick should be at that table. Then, if I'm in the NFL, I'm hiring him now to be in New York. I don't know what title you'd give him, but it would it would his job would be to show that we've changed, the NFL has changed. Um, how can he help heal this country? Um. Uh, you know, he would be a, li- a liaison for me to, to be put in that position now. Give him a nice little salary, and you know, if you determine he can't play anymore, then that's the role he should be in. Uh, I think he should be in that role anyway. I think he's, he could be more powerful, more helpful in that position than than if he's on the football field.
0: I think so, too. And, you know, the one thing to remember about Colin Kaepernick, there will be a lot of people, like you mentioned earlier, you say clowns, or just other people say, you know what, Colin Kaepernick, uh, he's got pig socks, and he had that picture of, of Castro along with Malcolm X, and he didn't want to get into to Castro, especially talking to reporters from Miami. Well, he's not perfect. I mean, that's the thing. Like, the, he's not the, he's not the perfect protester, but he did he did have this idea and he did shine the light and he did go to a knee, which, you know, challenged the beliefs of America for, so for that part, you know, yeah, I mean, we can look at all those other things and he can answer all those questions. Again, he's, he's not going to be perfect. People always want to say like, uh, you know, I've heard that same thing about LeBron, like saying like, you know, LeBron's not like, like perfect either. Like, but you know, like they always, they like put those pictures, like he doesn't care about, you know, China. He just cares about his pocketbook. But when it comes to, you know, America, yeah, well, well, he's not perfect either. It's the one part, like um, uh, for Kaepernick. None of us are. Well, yeah, none of Right. We're
2: not. Yeah,
0: if we're looking for that perfect person, we're going to be in trouble.
2: Right. Absolutely. But here, here's the thing I will say. You know, first of all, I didn't think Ka- Kaepernick, by taking a knee, is disrespecting the flag or disrespecting the military. If If you want to talk about people who disrespect the national anthem and the flag there is no group of people who disrespect it more than sports fans because they yell during the an- anthem they scream stupid stuff they scream for their team and stuff to me you're supposed to be silent you're supposed to stand up if if you know we're talking about the perfect way to respect the national anthem sports fans I mean, just about every game, they don't respect the anthem, but then they get mad at a guy that's silently taking knee. I just don't get it. That confuses me.
0: No, I I think there's a, a I think there's a lot of people that just don't want to look deeper into it. Like they've had their beliefs their whole life long. I just know that four years ago, Terry, I had my belief. Like when it happened, it was on a Friday night, and a Saturday morning. I was doing a show at two, and I thought. My first reaction was, you know what, Colin Kaepernick, if he doesn't like, you know, the United States, maybe he should go somewhere else. And I was quickly, you know, called out on the carpet by callers left and right and saying, well, are you listening to what he's saying? Just because you have the view and and you love the flag and you love America and everything about it, it doesn't mean everybody else you're living with in this country does. And in fact, if you look a little deeper and if you look at your brothers and your neighbors and, you know, the people that you're friends with, You know, their history is not the same as yours. You know, uh, open up a little bit. You know, don't just have that closed-minded view. And I had to, you know, go home that night and really think about it. And then when I changed my view, you know, you'd have people like, oh, you're, you know, you'll flip-flop on anything. Or you won't take a stand. Well, if you you feel like you've, uh, you know, seen an error in your ways, this might be a little bit, you know, like with Drew Brees here, he wasn't considering anything else. And he was being naive. Uh you know I, I I switched my view around I just saw like I I just saw his point of view like he was saying you know this was not against police officers this was against the brutality this was not against you know and and it's still something that needs to be hammered home that I find that whether it's online or you're talking with people that will say, you know, I just love the military so much. That's just disrespectful to me. It's like, well, he's saying it's not disrespectful to you. He's trying a point, to prove a point about, and you just you kind of go around in circles, and it doesn't seem like people are are, are always willing to meet you halfway.
2: Yeah, sure. But, but it just in my dealings, and this is not a scientific thing, but from the guys I've talked to, 70 to 80% of people who served in the military said, this is why I fight. So a guy like K- Colin Kaepernick can protest. He can do his thing. And I may not agree with everything, but I'm okay with him, I'm okay with others doing their thing, because this is what I fight for. Um, so the people who are upset, most upset in my mind, never served in the military, and they're speaking for people who are in the military, But most of those guys say, hey, this is what I fight for. So go ahead. And the other thing is, I hear a lot of people say, well, if you protest something that's happened in America, then go move somewhere else. Maybe that person is trying to make America better. Because wouldn't we be better if we didn't have a group of people being targeted by police or authorities? Wouldn't we be better? if we could get 15, 20% of our population uplifted and feeling good about themselves, that would make America better. So, uh, you know, sometimes, I mean, I think a lot of times you have to look at it from a different perspective. I'm not protesting because I'm pissed at America. I'm protesting because I'm trying to make America better.
0: And, and, and it, you know,
2: protest is yeah. supposed to be uncomfortable sometimes.
0: Yeah, and wouldn't it be better just listening to you there, if uh, your, your fellow police officer, if if he saw something that was uh, was out of line, stepped in and said, you know, no, I, I'm not going to stand for this, and and you know, got America's back, you know, rather than I mean, it's going to be a in some cases, uh, you know, tough and the blue wall and everything, but that's one of those uh, I've seen the, you know, the 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 different. Uh, ideas of of reform and uh you know i don't know they 8 can't wait you know that's one of them like with the partner you know if, mm-hmm. if you see something with them uh i'm with that particular one hey terry i wanted to ask you about uh your dad i saw your your blog terry mm-hmm. foster uh not blog which is like i mentioned earlier a very powerful read and i did not know your dad ronald foster but uh in the army korean war and And was shot dead by a policeman.
2: Right. Uh, What had happened is um, they went to a party, and this was on a a street called Central. It's near Tyreman. And um, they had issues with each other. And so the guy followed my dad out from the party. And uh, obviously, I I guess they had, you know, the feud or whatever continued there. And he shot him. And then in his police report said they found a guy trying to steal a car. Well, first of all, do you shoot someone dead if they're trying to steal a car? Secondly, you know, it was my dad's car because he had the keys and it was a Volkswagen and and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it was was devastating for me because the way I found out was uh, on the radio. You know, and and uh we knew the police wasn't uh, we knew the report wasn't true that he was trying to steal a car because he lived with my grandmother and aunt who I lived with too and they these two women were fanatical you don't steal if it doesn't belong to you you don't touch it and he grew up under the same roof as them and i know they went ballistic about that and um so i knew he didn't steal a car and they knew he didn't steal a car and then we had it investigated and lo and behold he was not trying to steal a car and that's when i learned that you can't always believe police reports um there's lies in there they try to protect each other and and uh, that you know the the best thing that ever happened for black people is cell phones because you would hear these reports. Well, Why did you shoot this guy dead? Well, he charged me. What person in their right mind would charge a police officer with no weapon and the police officer has got a taser or a gun and he's backed up? Nobody would do that. So now we have these cell phone videos and we're finding out, oh, he didn't really charge him. He wasn't really doing anything. So we get to view... Um, what happened because, you know, dead men can't talk. Uh, It's always going to be the version of the person who's alive. That's the only thing we're going to hear and uh, you know, we would have, that's what we would have had to believe, that my father was trying to steal a car until my aunt was like, no, I know she knew a reporter at a newspaper, asked him to investigate. He did. And um, one of the first things he said when she talked to him is um, did he drive an off white DW Beetle? And she said, Yeah, I said, well, that's the car he got shot out of. He was turned toward the car. So he couldn't have been trying to steal his own car. So that's how we kinda knew something was shaky with the story.
0: Wow. Well, you know, Terry, when I brought you on, you said you'd spend Looking at things, looking at uh, whatever's pictures, and uh, I, w- I was struck by the picture, I, and it, I read that, that blog, and you talked about your dad would drive that. that, is it with Bug, you know, Beetle, uh, to, yeah. to Belle Isle, and then I saw the picture yeah. of all the people in, the, I didn't call it a protest, Peaceful March uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. and, you know, going across the, whatever that is, MacArthur Bridge,
2: Carpet bridge.
0: Yeah, it was it was kind of a strong it was it was a strong picture, you know, in, in this time yeah, to look at it. I've
2: only walked across that thing one time in my life. It's and, a long uh, it's a long bridge. It's a long bridge and it's it's closer to the water than you think. So uh, we use we usually drive it, you know, we used to go there on Sundays and with my aunt and grandmother and find a place to just to relax and let the air blow in our face and enjoy the river and all that kind of stuff. So I never walked across it until and I think I was an adult. It was the first time I ever walked across that bridge because we always drove across it.
0: Yeah, last year I was going to – we stayed at a Airbnb down there on the east side. It was pretty close to Belle Island at the one you know morning. I was like, well, I'm going to – I'm just going to get up and I'm going to go run down there across the bridge and everything. But I, so I drove down there to see where I was going to park and there wasn't really a spot. And then I drove over the bridge and I ended up, you know, parking there and and running around, uh, you know, Belle Isle, which was, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting and entertaining, you know, the history and the, the fountain and and everything else. But I thought, man, I would have run across the bridge. There's, There's nothing like right when you get across the bridge, it's not like you, you set up shop and you, you take in Bell Isle, you still gotta you know get and go somewhere. So that was you
2: know, what I yeah. well, there's there's a great injustice about Bell Isle. Sammy Davis Jr. He has that song Detroit, Detroit. He calls it Bell Ill. <laughs> yeah, I, didn't know that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't know that, but I knew one of the statues up there was like some uh, you know, rogue figure who he, he bought the fountain, which is a beautiful fountain and they had it going and everything mm-hmm. else, but he demanded that, his, uh, you know, that he would have a statue built of himself and that it would stay there forever. And it's there, but if you read about the guy, it's not like he's like, uh, that's about all he had going for him is that he,
2: right. that he built the fountain. Yeah, we, we got a lot of unsavory figures with statues and fountains of them and stuff like that. So we got to figure out what do we do with them? Do we put them in museums? Do we let them stay? Do we take them down? So we got a lot of decisions to make over the years.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, you know what, Terry? Tell me, uh, you you podcasting, you're you're blogging, so you know you're writing, you're talking. Like, you know, tell me a little bit about that. For maybe there'll be a few people that that, that wouldn't know exactly, uh, or, or will look to find you.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying my um, blog, uh, TerryFoster.blog. You know, I I write those things. Um to communicate to people. But it's also therapeutical for me. Um, When I I got sick four years ago, I have one doctor I talk to a lot, Dr. Islander. He says that do some of the things that you used to do. You just can't do it in volume. So he thinks that's good for me health-wise. And also, I thought it was a good time to really blog a lot now during the crisis that we have across America. I was able to um, talk about some of the things that um, I went through as a kid, um, things I've gone through as an adult, and just try to be honest with people. And then, you know, I'm not trying to change minds, but I'm trying to get people to think about, think more broadly about things because you got your own life and that's the only thing you focus on. And And so I'm trying to present The view of a kid that grew up in inner city Detroit, a little bit of poverty, um, probably can understand some of the things that the protesters are going through, and so I wanted to bring that to light. But you know, I want to also talk, you know, write about things that everyday people are going to. Like uh, today, I blogged about the restaurants opening and what my favorite restaurants were and what restaurants mean to me and what they mean to people and how excited I will be to eventually go back in the one. So, um, so I, I'll try to hit on those things too. Uh, I think I'm going to write a blog about the opening of the NBA too. And what I think about the 22 team, um, format and, uh, spoiler alert. I'm, I'm glad the Pistons are not involved in, uh, <laughs> this, NBA reopening because you know I don't want to see meaningless games. I want to see something that matters now, so that we've had this big gap. And if you're gonna put everybody in Orlando, just play meaningful games. That's that's all I care about now. Amen. That's what I'm doing.
0: Uh, What about a little bit of podcasting too? I've I've seen you pop up uh, here and there.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the podcasting thing has been kind of heavy for me, mostly because of the. Pistons and the Michael Jordan, um, oh yeah, a documentary. So I've been on everybody's podcast. <laughs> That's right. I would say the last two months, and um, so because I kind of lived that whole thing with Jordan and Isaiah and, and the Pistons, not so much the Bulls, but I, you know, from a Pistons perspective, I kind of lived that, went through it, and and I try to tell stories that weren't in the newspaper. I tried to tell stories that everybody doesn't know. Um, I tried to tell stories, for instance. um, Everyone assumes that Isaiah Thomas, uh, back in the day, got Adrian Dantley traded. But I also tell the story about an encounter I had with Chuck Daly, where him and Dantley got into this huge argument uh, in Boston Garden. And I ran into Chuck, you know, after the game, Chuck and AD said there's no big deal, but then I ran into Chuck Daly later that night and just unsolicited, he told me in no uncertain terms, we got to get this dude out of this city, away from this organization that he was sick and tired of. him. So I tried to tell stories like that, that, that people don't know about. I mean, there's so much obvious stuff. You know, we know they won in 89. We know they won in 90. We know. A lot of the stories that happen on the court, but I I try to uh, put people behind the scenes as much as possible because I thought that was my job as a reporter. So that's what I'm trying to do when I'm on everybody's podcast now. Wow, well, that's, that's, that's kind of slowing down a little bit because now the uh, last dance is in our rearview mirror now. So,
0: well, Terry, I always smiled when I would go into the the Pistons media room. There's there's a lot of pictures, you know, done at the old palace now and I don't know mm-hmm. if they have that one up. There's one iconic, you know, photo where you see Isaiah. There's Champagne. If you look off to the side, though, there you are. I mean, if you look, it's like, hey, there's Terry. So, yeah, I mean, talk about living it and being right in it. Do you think the Pistons would have won if they would have kept Adrian Antley? I always felt like they would have won it regardless if they got Aguirre. You uh, I mean, we don't know, but I, I thought that they would, have, they would have won it if they would have kept AD.
2: Yeah, they probably would would have, but, you know, you had a dynamic in that locker room. You had the AD side and the Isaiah side. So you had a, uh, a friction and a fracture in the locker room. So I think just to guarantee that they would be the team to beat, they wanted to get rid of that friction that was all, always there. So, you know, from a chemistry standpoint, um, it made it better, it made it easier but they probably still could have won it with him, but we wouldn't have seen as much Dennis Rotman if that had been the case so
0: yeah. If I can get one more question about that when you brought Mm. up the bad boys, you know, I haven't had a chance to ask you, I always have thought, just like um, with John McEnroe, you know he had to rant and rave and be a brat and and tennis, it it focused him uh, to be a better player, that was just in how he was uh, you know, wired I always felt Isaiah, he had to be prickly. He had to like look at the other team as the enemy. He couldn't, you know, even though he was pals with uh with magic, you know, he was pushing them by the time the, the game started. He couldn't be friendly with Bird. He had to tell Joe D not to, you know, hang out with Is- uh with uh with Jordan just because the way he was wired. I'm like he had to draw the lines that way. Maybe it was his size, but I also thought that was his personality. Do you think that's true?
2: No, that, that is absolutely his, per- his personality. But before he could beat enemies with Larry Bird and Michael Jordan, all those guys, I think first his first priority was to bring a mindset within his own organization that we want to win championships. Because I think the Pistons, they were like, I think the mentality was, let's just be good and whatever happens, happens. And I think Isaiah pushed them to – no, that's not good enough. We want to be champions. So I think he had to be prickly within his organization before he could focus on being prickly with Larry Bird and and Magic Johnson. Because really the way it was supposed to go, it was supposed to go from uh, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson feud or a rivalry right into Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Isaiah said, You know, said no that's not the way it's going to go the Pistons are going to be in the middle of all this stuff so you're going to have to talk about us too but he had to get that organization within the mindset of yeah this is what we want we don't just want to be the Utah Jazz or the Phoenix Suns who had a nice run we won 50 games we won 60 games but we won no championships that was not what he was about
0: fascinating I love it well, wanted, yeah. yeah, it's good stuff, man. Uh, all of that. It, w- it would make for a great 10 hour podcast. I, I I know that. Hopefully that uh, you you get that out there one day because uh, I certainly would listen to it. That's for sure. Well, I wanted to tell you this, Terry, uh, you know, we worked together for a little while. And when you were talking about the restaurants, like you had mentioned once in a while, Hey, we got to get down the sidetrack and Ypsilanti and, and hopefully uh, one day we will be able to do that. But, I would just tell people like most people know who you are whether they, you know, read your stuff in the in the paper for all those years or they listen to you on the radio, you know, that really feels like we do know you because that's the way, you know, you approach the radio side, man. It was uh, you know, it was it was one of those things. It was a real connection, but I just wanted to tell this story for people that that might not know or, or want to know more about you yet. You there's a way at work where you just go around and you'll talk with people big and, and and small at the workplace and it's however you do it like people say like you know there's a lot of people that come up and shake people's hand or ask them how they're doing and and but genuinely you have a talent to just make people feel good like it's more you you instead of saying how you're doing you're telling them they're doing a great job and man it's just I I've I don't want to say I've stole that from you, but it's something that I, I tried to learn. I tried to do it myself whenever I get a chance to tell people, hey, I, you're doing a great job. And, you know, I, I totally got that from you, but I just saw the, you know, the, your interaction with people and just how it made them feel. And you did the same thing to me. It's just like, hey, you're doing a good job. It's like, really? I'm doing a good job? And, you know, right. they're just words. But, man, it, 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 you, you have a real talent for that, man. Uh, I've always appreciated that and, uh, and
2: and, of course, enjoyed it well you're allowed to steal that but i i think the thing is <laughs> i i genuinely kind of like people and i think every day we're told how we're not doing a good job we're told how we're not as good as somebody else we're told every day whether it's from your boss or whether it's from in our business and radio i mean people call up constantly saying how they could do a better job than you and you're not great. So I'm like, well, geez, at least one time, maybe this guy or this woman could be told that, you know what? I am good. I am, you know, I am worth something. So that's what I tried to do because I think everybody who worked there um, brought work to the station and I know good and well you guys weren't told enough about, uh, you know, what you did for the station, what you did for the community. And uh, so I said, I'll do it. I don't care.
0: You did a great job, man. It was appreciated. (laughs) And so was uh, all of your time here on this Saturday, June the 6th, uh, D day, 76 years after. Uh, I appreciate all of your thoughts and uh, I, I look forward to your next blog. And, they are powerful and, you know, continued success. I, I know you'll be, uh, I know you'll be, I don't know if you, well, I, I was going to say, I know you'll be rooting for the Spartans, but I, I don't know that I, I, all the, all the best, the little B, Brandon is he now he, you know, he makes the trip, you know, up to East Lansing. So.
2: Yeah. Well, I'll, um I'll be rooting for that one Spartan and that's B. And he's not <laughs> a uh, athlete. So I'll be rooting for that Spartan. So.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. We'll, we'll tell him uh, all the best uh, up there as well and uh, and to your family there, Terry. Thanks for uh, spending so much time with me today. All uh, right. You bet. Thanks a lot, man. Take it easy. You too. Take care of yourself. Boom bye. Right, you too. Boom bye. And be good. <laughs> you too. All right. There all he right. is. Bye. The great Terry Foster joining me here on. I was going to call this a blog. It's not what it is, it's a podcast. And and Dennis from Lansing earlier on this all-star Saturday. I looked down and I've almost talked an hour. I always say this in in radio or in podcasting. You know, if you're, if you're looking down, it seems like, man, only five minutes in, I've got an hour to go. It's not a good sign, but if you look down and 15 minutes are gone, like, uh, and it seemed like it was 30 seconds, like it was when I was talking with Dennis it's a very good sign. And when I look down and it's almost uh, an hour gone after I'm uh, talking with Terry, again, another good sign. Well, I was going to tell you what everything that was going on, uh, at least to the landscape, say everything. It's, it's pretty quick. I can get to when you talk about the world of sports, although there were, you know, some developments. So, one, the first um, a sport here that's going to have fans back at it, it's going to happen in Ohio at uh, the Memorial in mid-July. Fans will be back for for that. Hockey, uh, the update there late July, August for the playoffs. Uh, as Terry mentioned, the NBA, July 31st, they're going to have some of those uh, play-in games. And, you know, for me, I know the 22, like it would have been fine to just go into the playoffs. I would have been fine with that World Cup format. But for me, I would have been all right. Whoever came out of the World Cup format, and whoever was a champion, you know, I can't say it for sure, but I would have felt like, hey, they deserve to be the champ. But I also know why the – like Jordan, Adam Silver listened to Jordan and said, hey, let's try to make this as close as possible to the to the normal playoffs is that people love to put asterisks and, and they want to call it a tainted season and this isn't a real champ and – I know if it, it ends up ultimately not being the Lakers or the Clippers or the Bucks. I mean, those are the the three teams there. Let's just say if it was the Sixers, people would be like, well, this is a tainted championship. It's going to be charged like that. Uh, nothing you can do about that. But so you want to, I understand, make it as close as possible. And adding the other team, you know, so many from the Western Conference and only a couple from the East, you know, they are going to be playing for something. And I do want to see Zion. So I'm there for the Zion content, the Zion games. And now before uh, the the playoffs as well, see some college football teams setting some dates to work out and even youth baseball. I hear from my wife's cousin yesterday that, you know, they had some practice going. I was just looking into the one thing about the NBA, you know, they're talking about bringing the different floors and and, you know, trying to create some home court advantage. The thing that I read today is that they're, you know, talking about piping in some music from NBA 2K, just like having like a Spartan Bob up there. And I just wondered how that, you know, you're you're sitting there. It's going to be like, you know, calling, here's LeBron James for three. It's good. And the Lakers lead it 20 to 10. So you don't have a lot of sound except, except the squeaking of the, the, the sneakers. And is it going to sound a lot better if you come down and say, here's LeBron for three. Oh, and it's good. Oh, yeah. That'll put the Lakers up by three. 20-10 to 10 over the Los Angeles Clippers. You know, it actually does sound better, just to me, doing it right there. So maybe they will go with that. And, you know, if, it, if they go with it, and if it's the first round of the first game and it comes off and it's extremely hokey and everybody's like, that was ridiculous, then you know what? Um, <laughs> they could just change it and not go with it and then just try the, the dry and the squeaking sneakers well we'll see hey thanks for listening if you subscribe you get these podcasts the same day this one today you get today anyways because i put it up as soon as i can thanks for listening take care everybody and have a great rest of your saturday